Welcome to the Real Estate CEO Podcast. The real, unscripted, candid view of what it's like to grow a real estate business from zero to $1 million. And now, your host, Max Maxwell. Hey, Adam, welcome to the Real Estate CEO Podcast. We are here live at the Extreme Freedom event in Phoenix. And I tell you what, a buddy of mine, Brent, brought you to the event. You guys came together and we're mutual friends. We've been hanging out the last couple of days and you've been very interested. And it's cool to hear your stories that you're doing down in Mississippi. And I said, we got to break away from this event and do a podcast. So this is what we're doing right now. So introduce yourself to the listeners here at podcast and uh, tell them a little bit about what you're doing and where you're from. Absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the on the podcast. This will actually be my first podcast. I'm uh, Adam Johnson. I'm from South Mississippi, about an hour north of the Gulf of Mexico and middle of nowhere. I always joke around, tell everybody, you know, go north <laughs> for 45 miles, take a left, go five, one more left. When you feel lost, I'm the third driver on the right. If you're ever down there, feel free to stop by, say hello. But um, it's really interesting being here in Phoenix, meeting a lot of new people, especially you, you know, um, a lot of people nowadays are are really up to speed on technology and things like that. Been in the real estate business for about 15 years. I think it's 15 years a week and, and three days. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting at the different methods, uh, that the different approaches that everybody takes. And one thing that I've, I've been picking up a lot, even especially from you, is how much technology can play a role these days because I mean, you're talking to a guy who just got internet at his house about four months ago. That's interesting because I think without my business, without the internet, my business wouldn't run completely. I, it, like I started out with the OnCare website. I started out with InvestorFuse, CRM. Like, so I started this business all through the internet. And to hear that you just got the internet at your house Four months ago, I was very interested. So, what I mean, you've been doing it for 15 years, so I assume that you're somewhat successful at it or you've been, you know, keep going. Like, how many deals now that you're 15 years in it, how many deals are you doing and what type of deals? Are you wholesaling, flipping? T- tell, tell the guys a little bit about what you're actually doing. So, it's a it's a combination of all of them. Um, and I, I, I'd be lying if I said I did it solid for those 15 years. Uh, it's been on and off done several other things, had insurance offices, tax offices, uh, some food franchises, different things like that. But real estate has always been my passion. It's where I feel I've been able to to make the most impact and help the most people. Probably done 200 deals over those 15 years, 34, 35 of those have been this year. And uh, it really just depends. It's a it's a combination of everything we buy in a lot of different ways. You know, if we buy cash, we may uh, look at wholesaling or at fixing it up and flipping it, you know, on the retail market to an end user. And then we buy several with creative financing. And, and a lot of times those will go through and structure them so that we can keep them as a good long-term rental. Okay. So you're doing a little bit of wholesaling, you're flipping, and you're keeping some things for that passive cash flow. So now when you've done 35 deals this year, and and it, it sounds like, I mean, you've done over the last 15 years, it looks like this year, you're actually full-time out of those 35 deals, how many has been wholesales? How many has been flips? And how, what are you keeping? I would say that five of those, I don't, I don't have the records in front of me, but probably five of those have been keepers that we've hung on to for rental properties. Uh, we try to cherry pick those out. 
you know, sorry to any of my wholesaler or my buyers that may be listening. Uh, <laughs> we try to we try to cherry pick those out in, in good areas that we know that 20 years from now, you know, they're they're going to appreciate in value and they're still going to be strong rental properties. I would say that we've done probably 10 or 12 uh, full remodel jobs that we've retailed on the, the market. And then the rest have been wholesale deals. Okay. So wholesale is probably 50 to 65% of your business right now, which is okay. So that, that good wholesaling cash flows come in. Now tell me, we talk a lot about on the CEO podcast, you lot, a lot of listeners that have just started. Some guys are doing two to three deals a month. It looks like you've been, you've done 35 deals. So you've had to find 35 properties this year alone. And we're in October. Tell me what are some of your best lead generation sources? Top three, maybe. Uh, I'd say the top three, my number one go-to is always driving for dollars. Okay. Uh, it's the most fun. It gets you familiar with neighborhoods, with what houses are on what street, what houses are for sale. You know, that that should be the go-to, especially for any guys that are new to the business. Even if you don't, you know, pick up tons of properties from driving for dollars, the knowledge that you get out of that is is invaluable. You can't go learn that anywhere else other than just beating the streets down. The second one, uh, we get a lot of referrals. Some of that's just going to take time from being in the business for a while. I would say the first five or six years, I don't know that we got any referrals uh, because, you know, A, number one, most people don't know what you're doing. Number two, you had not been doing it long enough for them to, to trust you to, to take a referral and do the right thing with it. Absolutely. Um, and then number three, we've picked up several that were either out-of-town owners or, or, you know, delinquent on their taxes. So you've got driving for dollars, referrals, and a combination of absentee, out-of-state owners, and, and tax. Okay. So, and that's what, the reason why I ask these questions for everybody I interview is every market's different. You know, when we had Brent on from South Carolina, he had a different answer. Um, William from South Miami, he's got a different answer. So it's just good to hear from different, you know, people what's going on as far as in their market. Now, tell me a little bit, probably tell me your biggest wholesale deal or your biggest deal. Well, I'll give you I'll give you one example of, of each of the ones we've done this year as far as, you know, wholesale and flipping and keeping as a rental property. Okay. The, the best wholesale deal I've done this year, we had one that we picked up. Uh, we did a dual close on it. I think I had the contract for about two weeks, found a buyer for it. And uh, it was it was an interesting deal for me because um, the the gentleman you just mentioned, Brent from South Carolina, was in town. We rode together. Our first appointment was this house down in the avenues in Hattiesburg, and uh, we picked up the contract. I think we made uh, fifteen thousand and change on the the actual sale of the house, but because Brent was there and he was paying attention to more that was going on other than just the house, we noticed that this gentleman had a nineteen seventy six Land Cruiser in the in the carport. Um, and as negotiations went on, we actually got that thrown in the deal as well. Um, okay. So it was fun. It was interesting and, uh, you know, a little different twist than what's what's normally happening. As far as retail. Well, before we move on to retail, you said a word that most people might not understand. You said you did a double close. Yeah. So yeah. Ex- explain why you did a double close or what a double close is and why you did it. Okay, so yeah, you basically got three options when you when you're wholesaling. The first two is really what you want to focus on, unless you just have a lot of cash and you need some extra time. Uh, the easiest way is to do an assignment, and all that is is you get your contract and somebody pays you X amount of dollars for the right to that contract. Um, 
because even though you don't own the house, you do own the contract. Yeah. So you've got an, an equitable title to the property that you can then sell to somebody else with an assignment. Mm -hmm. That's the easiest way to do it, especially for beginners. The only downside to that is, is whoever you assign that contract to is going to know exactly how much you're making. Yeah. And, I, that, and that's why we screen our buyers. You know, we have we, we, Derek, he talks to the buyers. He tell them exactly how we work. And, you know, we ask this famous question. Listen, if I got a house for a dollar and assigned it to you for $70,000, you are going to be mad that I made $69,999? Or if the numbers work for you, you don't matter what I make. Yeah. And that's what we need people to understand. And that's what we conversations we have with our buyers. Because when you say VIP buyers list, it doesn't necessarily mean it, you have to literally take it that way. The, the, the VIP buyers get first right. They are first on the list. They know how we work. They agreed to work on our terms. We're, we're providing them a great service. So I would say keep that in mind, too, when you're actually going out and looking for your buyers list. But let's move on to the next one. So you told us the wholesaling one. Give us another scenario. So the uh, <clears throat> the next scenario was there was a lady that she was, you know, pre-foreclosure. It was coming up. We had about a week to go. We were finally able to track her down. There was a significant amount of equity in the property, but also a significant amount of work that needed to be done. And uh, as it turns out, me and a, another guy in Hattiesburg that we both do real estate investment, he'd gotten a hold of her first. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'll back off. I don't want to step on your toes, but if you can't work a deal, let me know. Long story short, he couldn't get the deal worked out. And I said, well, you know, give me her number. Tell her I'm going to give her a call and I'll give it a shot. Talk to her for probably 10 or 15 minutes on the phone. She was very skeptical, very leery of, of you know, giving out information, meeting with anybody. But I convinced her to let me come out to, it was in Thomasville, Alabama. It was about a three-hour trip for me, one way. And I said, look, let me just come out there and see you. I drew up a contract. I drew up a deed and took everything I needed out there in a, in a pocket full of cash Went out there, spoke with her for about two hours, convinced her that this was the best route. And, and there was actually some money on the table. We were able to, to really help her out and got the deal done. And what we did is I brought in the, the original guy that got in touch with her and one other one. They put up the money. They handled all of the, uh, the rehab work. And all I did was for me going out and making that trip, I got 20% of the deal, which ended up being about $10,000. So it, it sounds like you had investors, fix and flippers that tried to make the deal, but they only they didn't have the knowledge you had in order to structure a deal where it made sense. So you took advantage of that, went back to the person after the original guy couldn't do it. You put the deal together and still made money because they were they were able to make money. The lady was able to save her house and so on and so forth. Yeah, they were able to get 80 percent of something that, you know, otherwise they they would have gotten never zero. got it. And, uh, and that's one important thing I think a lot of beginners miss is that in real estate, you don't have to really buy anything. You don't even really have to sell anything. You just have to get in the way. You don't have to have lots of money. You don't have to have lots of borrowing power. You just have to position yourself between two people that want to make a transaction. So you, you've now told us the wholesaling one. You told us the, uh, the one where you've, I guess that's a fix and flip, where, yeah. you, where you're just in the middle of it. Do you have one that you've bought and, 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 and you're holding on to for a long term? A good story? We're actually finishing up the, the remodel work on it and getting it cleaned up. Uh, in the next few days, it should be ready to have a sign out front next week. And what that one was, I went and talked to a lady. She owned the property free and clear. She wanted to sell it, move out west. And she was dead set that she wanted $100,000 for this property. And cash-wise, you know, if, if you're solely going after 
cash purchase on this house, you'd have never made a deal because fixed up, you know, the house was probably worth, I'd say 140 max. And then it needed, I don't know, anywhere from 35 to 40 in, in repairs. I, th- I think we're probably high 30s right now is where we're at expense-wise. But what we did, she, since she owned it free and clear, uh, and this was one I found delinquent taxes, what we did is I went in and structured an offer. I said, look, I'll give you your $100,000, but I have to pay it to you the way that I, I want to pay it to you. On terms. On terms. And so we did 10000 down, and we took the 90, zero interest, put it into 180 months, and that was $500 a month. And then, of course, we'll take care of the taxes and insurance during that time period. And that works out when we're done after taxes, insurance, repairs, maintenance, things like that. We'll probably cash flow about four, four fifty on that house a month. So ten thousand dollars down is making you four hundred to four hundred and fifty dollars a month. Yeah. So a cash on cash return percentage of some crazy number. We're probably ten to twelve percent uh, after repairs and everything. We're ten to twelve percent, which you know for a, a property that you you don't have much cash in, that's going to be a good long term. If you get double digits, it's pretty good. That's super interesting. And I'm, what I'm learning or what I'm getting from the, the conversation we're having is that you, you've, you've made yourself knowledgeable about, about different options when going to a house. So you necessarily don't always have to find deeply discounted properties to make money. Yeah. I mean, it's just like any, any carpenter, any builder, anybody that comes to your house to do some kind of repair work. You can't trust the guy that shows up with one tool to get a whole lot done. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I've I've really focused on and, and part of going to these seminars and constantly educating myself is to figure out how real estate really works so that I've, I'm constantly adding tools to my tool belt. You know, one project may need a flathead screwdriver. One might need a Phillips head screwdriver. One may need an impact wrench. One may need a jackhammer. Yeah. You know, and one, you know, there's a few deals out there that you may just need to light a match and walk away. That's interesting. Now that we went over like kind of all the deal structures that you like to do in your company, you've done 35 deals this year so far, and we're only in October. So we still got to, you know, and the cool thing about this business is a lot of people go to sleep soon as Thanksgiving rolls around. And that's really the opportunity when you turn things up and you start making deals because everybody else is on vacation, family time, worried about turkey and cranberry sauce. The biggest thing in in this business, everybody's got a little competition, some markets more than others, obviously. But, you know, you've got to focus on doing things that your competition is not. If all your competition is going over tax delinquent properties, then find something else to work on, maybe probates for you in your area. And the same with with periods of time when most people say, oh, yeah, I want to take a break for the holidays. There's still people that are in distressed situations. And most of the time, if you're coming up on Christmas, and Thanksgiving, all those holidays, People are more worried then because they need extra money for Christmas presents and Thanksgiving dinners and everything else. So they're feeling that distress a whole lot more than they would at other times. And that's when all your competitions, like you said, they're asleep. Yeah. So usually when somebody's stressed through the year, they're double stressed during the holidays because they got to make more than just ends meet. They got to make ends meet plus Christmas presents and all these other things and grandma coming into town and all that stuff. So, And you can even do some deals. Uh, being creative is very important. On some of these deals, we did one the other day uh, on a tax delinquent. We're actually going to let the lady stay there until May. Uh, we got a great deal on the property. We're going to pay the taxes and insurance for right now. And she gets to stay there till May because her big thing was letting her daughter stay in that school district. So around Christmas time, it may be that you buy the house now, 
give them a little money, let them have a good Christmas with their family, and don't worry about getting them moved out until school January yeah. or yeah. end of the year, whatever. Yeah. See, and that and that's that's awesome. Now let's let's move into like what are what are how do you find your buyers? What are you doing? Because you know it's it's everybody's getting the lead gen coming in, and then you're having you need buyers. You need to be able to sell them. What are you doing now to get your buyers? I haven't added anybody to my buyers list in some time, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'll tell you the single best way that I've ever found to when I was actively building that list is to go through, figure out when your foreclosure sales are and go start watching those foreclosure sales and go see who shows up with a check uh, or, or who bids on the property, who buys the property, who's paying the most money for the property. Whoever ends up with them, those are the guys you want to go get their information, tell them what you're doing, and they're they're already looking to buy, and obviously they've got access to cash. And then the other option is, is go down in your, your records room and start talking to whoever works in the records room about the guys in the area that invest, because they see them on a regular basis. They know their names, they know who's buying, they know who has money, and they can point you in that direction. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I can't find buyers, I don't know where to look. If you do those two things, you could spend three or four good days hitting foreclosure sales, talking to the ladies in the record room, and you'll have all the buyers that you can supply. You know, and that, and that's crazy. So guys, listen, Adam has never listened to one of my podcast episodes, nor has he been on my Instagram live because he just got internet four months ago. So he echoes the same thing I say. If you instantly want to find cash buyers, go to the places where actually cash buyers are buying property. It's not hard. Go to the foreclosure sales, go to the tax sales, watch them see who they are, go up and introduce yourself and, and tell them, you listen, I run across properties like you were just bidding on all the time. Tell me what you're looking for. How much money do you have? If I brought you four or five of these, were you able to close on four or five of these every month? And it's crazy because we're here at the Extreme Freedom event and I'm, we just listened to Kent talk this morning talking about getting his buyer list. After you hear him speak, are you going to change anything or add anything to what you've been doing in order to get better buyers? I'll probably work on narrowing down my buyers on exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. I, I have a pretty good idea when I talk to them the first time, but I, I've always waited until I found a property and then I'd look at who that was a good fit for. Yeah. Um, one of the things we learned from Kent uh, this morning was to find out what they're looking for and then go actively market for those properties that fit that investor. And that way, you know, okay, you don't even have to look. I know that if I get a call in this neighborhood and this is the house, well, then, you know, investor XYZ is going to buy all of these that I can bring. Yeah. And I think what he, if one thing he made us write down was shopping versus selling. See, what, what a lot of us do now is we sell the contracts or sell the properties because, you know, we get them on a contract. What he likes to do is go shopping for people that he already knows has got the cash and ready to buy. Yeah, that was one of the points he he made that I picked up on is that it's easier to find a house for a buyer than it is a buyer for a house. Yeah, and that makes yeah he wrote that down. That was actually that was actually brilliant. Moving on to something else, you know, we've spent some time together and you've told us some crazy stories. I want you just off the top of your head, I'm going to put you on a point. Give me a story, real estate related, that is kind of crazy off the wall that you just had to sit there and shake your head or whatever the situation because you've been you've been telling some good stories the last couple of days. <laughs> yeah, there's uh there's quite a few to sort through. You know, there's one that comes to mind that was I, I was real young. I think I was 
probably 20 years old, just getting started. I was 19 when we when bought the first one. Um, it was October 11th of 2002, if I remember right. Uh, so fast forward a year, I, I know just enough to be dangerous, uh, but still so much, you know, that I, I didn't even know I didn't know. And this was always my go-to as one of my standout deals. It was just so fun and so crazy to me uh, because up to this point, we had always bought a property, closed on it, and then marketed it, you know, for sale. And uh, so we'd own it for a little period of time, you know, getting insurance on it, money's tied up. I had written a letter to uh, some ladies out in Texas. They had inherited a property. Property needed, you know, total rehab. She called me up. She said, hey, you know, yes, we'd like to sell it. And we went back and forth negotiating. And, and when you're, I, I take a little bit different approach and I try to be, well, I, I don't, I really have to try. I'm just that good old country kid from Mississippi, you know? And um, so I, I don't ever try to be like the, the smartest one in the room because I'm not, you know, I don't ever try to be the best one in the room because I'm not. And so we just talked and I said, look, you know, I'd love to do it, but I can't do it at that price. She said, well, what can you do? And I said, well, let me go see. And I already knew where I needed to be. So I hung up the phone. I went in, had lunch with uh, some of my family. It was a Sunday afternoon. Went back out and I said, look, you know, I've been going over it. I've been talking with my folks. This is where I have to be. I have to be at 30, 31,000. I, I can't remember what the actual number was, but it was 30 something. She said, well, you know, we'd really like to get 40. And I said, yeah, I understand that. But, you know, where can we, where can we meet on this? She said, well, I'll split the difference with you. And I said, okay, that may work. Let me call my people. We'll see what we can do. So I go back inside. Of course, we didn't talk about real estate at all. Go back in, enjoy <laughs> dessert with the family, come back out, make my phone call. I said, look, we're so close. You know, you're at 35. I'm at 31. Uh, it's a shame to let this deal go to waste. You know, we're, we're almost there. Can we, is there anything we can do? Can we meet somewhere? And she said, well, I'll meet you in the middle. And so we're at about 33 and uh, got the deal locked up. I think we ended up closing it out at 33 and some change and made one phone call to a guy I knew that had some rentals right up the street from there. And he bought it for 44 and some change. And we made $11,000. And I, I don't even think I ever took earnest money by the closing attorneys. <laughs> I've done a couple of deals like that and, and not having to see them. So that, that's pretty good. What have you learned from this event the most? And it's, it's still only day two. We're, we're, before, we're before lunch on day two. What is your biggest takeaway so far? And what do you think you're going to do to change some things going on in your business? Because I think being a wholesaler and being a real estate investor, you're always learning. So what is the takeaway you've taken halfway through this right now? Uh, I think a lot of it for me right now with where I've been and where I'm at is being able to scale the process. Uh, for anybody that's read cash flow quadrant, you know that, you know, there's the S quadrant and then there's the B quadrant and they're vastly different. Even though the majority of the world thinks that they're one and the same, they're not. And for me, my real estate business has always been me and the S quadrant. For whatever reason, I've, I've never put it together on the B side, whereas, you know, my insurance office, my tax office, all my other businesses, I was always on the B side. Real estate, I've just never done it. And I've noticed this year, especially doing these 35 deals and throwing in, you know, 10 or 12 of those are rehab deals. I, I'm at my, my limit. I yeah. can't physically do any more. I can't handle any more without changing something drastically. And I think that was what my motivator was to shift from the S quadrant to the B quadrant. 
So now my whole thing is, is automate my process a little bit more and implementing systems where I can utilize other people's efforts. I, I like that. And, and that's kind of what we're taking away from this actual meeting in itself as well. Now, from my understanding, you, you wrote a book a while ago. I did. Now, tell me the name of this book, what the book's about, and, and how they can go out and get this book. It's on uh, Amazon. There's a Kindle edition that's available. It's called Everyday Negotiating for Everyday People. My purpose in writing it was because a lot of my friends at the time, you know, we're 18, 19 years old, and they go out and they're looking for newer vehicles. You know, we're out of high school. Most yeah. of them are getting jobs. And I realized that none of my friends really knew how to negotiate. <laughs> and so, and that was something I grew up with. I was very fortunate that riding around, you know, with my dad when I was four, ever since, you know, I, I can remember from then on, we were always listening to something from Nightingale Conan. Mm -hmm. There's always some cassette tape he had in the, you know, programs on negotiating and business and, you know, dealing with people, reading personalities and things like that. So I started going through and as my friends were, were shopping for new cars, we would get together and practice negotiating and practice different techniques. And, hey, the car dealer is going to say this and this is what this means and this is why and this is how you need to, you know, combat that a little bit. And um, I just realized that there was a big need out there for people to know how to negotiate in their everyday life because everything you do is negotiating. When you go to, you know, even when you go stand in line somewhere, you can negotiate your way into special treatment. When you go to the bank and they tell you they, they need $8 to print you up a certified check, you can negotiate that down. When you go to a department store and you're buying a new jacket or a new shirt or a new pair of pants, you can negotiate that down. Everything you do can be negotiated. That's excellent. So your book's about negotiating and uh, it's available, you said Kindle? Yeah, it's uh, Amazon Kindle. It's 99 cents. A buck, guys. You can't beat that. Go go get Adam's book. Read it on Kindle. What book do you like the most? Your favorite book you ever read? I would have to say that my go-to is The Richest Man in Babylon. It's a very simple read. It's a very short read, but it's one of those I try to read it at least once a year. It's one of the only books I've ever found that gives you very specific examples and very specific techniques on how to run your personal finances. And it's easy but don't be fooled. I mean, things that are easy to do are also easy not to do. Um, this one is very simple. If you follow the formula, you know, there's no way that you're not going to become wealthy at some point. Got it. Got it. Now, before we close out this podcast, I want you just to give, I like to ask my guests, I want you to give one tip to that guy or gal that's out there right now driving in their car, listen to this in their shower, give them one tip if they're just starting wholesaling that you wish you knew when you first started, one tip that will help them out in this business from time to come. There's a, a couple tips that all tie in together. Um, if you don't mind me throwing out a, a few of them as a kind of a package deal. But number one, I wish I would have known to be a little bit better listener um, because believe it or not, anybody that is out searching for properties and trying to pick up properties that they can wholesale, retail, rent, whatever, below market properties, any of those are usually in a distressed situation and you have to listen to their story. They've been beat up by everybody that has called them. They're, if they're behind on their house note, if they're, you know, whatever their situation is, it means that they're behind on their car note, they're behind on their power bill, they're behind on their credit cards, their families, you know, constantly nagging them about this or that or the other. 
and nobody has just come in and talked to them like an important human being in a long time. And by talking to them, I really mean listening to them. Um, so that would be the number one. And then number two, you're not in the real estate business as much as you're in the problem solving business. And I think that's where a lot of newbies miss the, the boat is because they think their objective is to go buy a house. That's not your objective. That's a byproduct of solving somebody else's problem. And when I really started focusing on, hey, what are these people trying to accomplish? Just like the lady we were talking about, her main goal was to keep her daughter in that school district until May. Most people would have gone in and made their offer and the lady could have taken it or leave, you know, leave it on the table, but it wouldn't have solved her goal. And uh, so I try to focus on listening to the problem and figuring out how I can solve it and still make it financially viable for me. Mm -hmm. And once I started doing that, I mean, it exploded. So be a better listener and understand you're really not in the real estate business. You're in the problem solving business. Now, Adam, I really appreciate you being on the best podcast here. And uh, what I want you to do now is if you want people to reach out to you, tell them where they can find you. And uh <laughs> I know you just got the interweb, so you probably just got the Instagram. So I, I did. I, I just got a uh, just got internet. That's a, a true story. The old interweb down in Mississippi, and uh, best way to get me, believe it or not, is send me an email to my AOL email address. <laughs> I still have one of those. That's real life true story. I think on the last one, I know we were joking around the other day about they're waiting for me to to cancel out so they can shut down AOL, uh, but. <laughs> I'm going to hang on to it for a little while. My email address is adamj1600 at aol.com, or you can just give me a call at 601-336-1819, or you can check out, we. Uh, I'm, I'm figuring out this whole face stalk, I mean, uh, Facebook thing, <laughs> yeah. and uh, <clears throat> we've got a new page. We're going to We've got the Real Estate Roundup. You can check us out, join our group. We're going to start answering some questions because I really like, I've helped four people this year do their first real estate investment. And we got this Facebook page going so we can help answer questions and kind of bridge that gap between, you know, the, the $100,000 months that they, you go see the seminars about and actually doing your first deal. Well, look, guys, that's the end of the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. Adam Johnson, you heard what he's got to say. If you're in Mississippi and uh, you drive up 45 minutes, make that left turn. Once you're lost, go about three down, three driveways, right? Third driveway on the left. Go out, see him, call him, email him on his AOL. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate CEO Podcast with Max Maxwell. Make sure to tune in next week to see what else is going on in the world of a growing real estate company.